Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. This is Joe Rosenstein, and I am a professor of mathematics at Rutgers University and the author of Sidur 8 Ratzon and Machzor 8 Ratzon. Today we will be studying Tractate Rosh Hashanah, Daf 34, Lamed Dalad. Finally, in the last Mishnah of the last chapter of the Tractate of Rosh Hashanah, we get to the question of how and when the shofar should be blown on Rosh Hashanah. Let us step back for a minute and recall that the Torah refers to the first day of the seventh month, not as Rosh Hashanah, but as Yom Teruah, a day of Teruah, and Yom Zichron Teruah, a phrase that we were not able to translate with confidence. In the Bible, the word Teruah usually involves noise and shouting. In only one of its 80 occurrences is the word Teruah specifically linked to the sound of a shofar. In a previous session, I gave several examples of how the word Teruah is actually used. Another example, parallel to Zichron Teruah, is the phrase Tzilzalei Teruah in Psalm 150. Since Tzilzalei Teruah means loud symbols, that's C-Y-M-B-A-L-S, Zichron Teruah might mean loud reminder. So perhaps the observance on the first day of the seventh month might have been, in biblical times, like what we would now call a pep rally. That doesn't sound at all like the Rosh Hashanah we know. But it is possible that the primary purpose of Rosh Hashanah in biblical times was quite different from what we are accustomed to. After all, in those days, we were an agricultural people, and the most important day of the year was Ha-Chag, the festival, that is, Sukkot, since that is when we prayed for rain, which was critical in order for our ancestors to survive and thrive. The high point of the festival was the water ceremony on Shemini Atzeret, called Simchat Beit HaShoeva, rejoicing in the pouring of the water, about which it was said in the Talmud, if you never experienced the joy of Simchat Beit HaShoeva, you never really experienced joy. Perhaps the first and tenth days of the seventh month were both preparation for the prayers for rain on Sukkot and for the water celebration on Shemini Atzeret. Perhaps the spiritual cleansing of Yom Kippur took place when it did in order to ensure that our prayers for rain would be answered. Perhaps the roaring of the crowds, the Truah on Rosh Hashanah, came after the holy proclamation, the Mikra Kodesh, intended to serve as a loud reminder, Zichron Truah, to our ancestors, that Sukkot was coming. This possibility is supported by Psalm 81.4, which is recited during the evening service of Rosh Hashanah. This verse says, Tik'u v'chodesh shofar v'kese l'yom chagenu. Sound the shofar at the new moon. 
proclaim our festival when the moon is concealed. A practice that was only observed at the beginning of the seventh month, that is on Rosh Hashanah, since our festival clearly refers to Sukkot. This verse clearly implies that the new moon was when the arrival of Sukkot was proclaimed. So we can imagine that on the first day of the seventh month, our ancestors would gather together in their communities to hear and to cheer the announcement that Sukkot was coming, Sukkot was coming, get ready for Hachag, the pilgrimage festival, pack your bags and come to the temple in Jerusalem where you will pray for rain and for a year of abundance. Perhaps the first day of the seventh month served as a pep rally for Sukkot. That theory sounds plausible, at least to me. In chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah, an amazing story is told. The setting for the story is that after the destruction of the first temple in 586 before the Common Era, the Jews were carried off to Babylonia, present-day Iraq, where they remained for several generations until Cyrus permitted them to return to their homeland under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. In chapter 8, we learn that soon after their return, on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra stood on a high wooden pulpit and read the entire Torah from dawn to midday to his entire community. He read very distinctly so that everyone understood what was read. His audience consisted of people who had never in their lives heard the Torah. Ezra praised Adonai, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with their hands up, and they bowed themselves and worshipped Adonai with their faces to the ground. The account of this day is provided in detail, but one detail is missing. Although Ezra had read that this day was Yom Truah, there is no mention of a shofar. Their Truah was Amen, Amen. What about Sukkot? That's later in the chapter, where it notes, That was a very great simcha. Interestingly enough, there is no mention of Yom Kippur in chapter 8 of Nehemiah. In any case, by the time of the second temple, as noted in an earlier session, Yom Truah had come to mean the day of blowing the shofar, and Yom Azikaron had come to mean the day of God remembering the covenant. They recited biblical verses about God remembering the covenant. The verses were referred to as Zichronot, and then blew the shofar. After that, they recited biblical verses about the shofar itself, referred to as Shofarot, and then they blew the shofar. In the time of the Mishnah, another set of verses was added, verses that refer to God as ruler of the world, verses referred to as Malchuyot, after which the shofar was blown again. Thus, the shofar was blown altogether three times during the repetition of the Musaf Amida. Actually, it was blown four times, and that is still the practice today. The fourth time is during what we call the shofar service that occurs before the Torah is returned to the Ark. The shofar service was presumably conducted before the Amida in order to make a bracha over the shofar without interrupting the flow of the Amida. We similarly make a bracha over the lulav before saying halil on Sukkot, although the waving of the lulav occurs during halil. Another reason for placing the shofar service before the silent amida is that at one time individuals blew the shofar individually, 
upon a completion of the verses in the silent Amidah. Some communities still follow this practice. So the shofar service enables them to blow the shofar during the Amidah without having to pause to say the shofar bracha. The Talmud suggests that these extra blasts of the shofar are intended to confuse the devil, by which they evidently meant the Romans. That is, the Romans were watching the service, and when they heard the Jews blow the shofar at this time and remain seated, they would conclude that the shofar was not a call to revolt. Then later, once the Romans left, the shofar blasts during the Musaf Amida would be blown while everyone was standing. The Talmud uses the phrases Tkiot Me'umad, standing Tkiot for the shofar blast during the Amidah, and Tkiot Miyushav, seated Tkiot, for the shofar blast before the Amidah. The initial letters of the Hebrew verses before the bracha of Lishmoa Kol Shofar, to hear the sound of the shofar, spell the phrase Kara Satan, which, evid- which literally means tear up Satan. The person who selected these verses from Psalm 119 evidently took very literally the Talmudic explanation above without recognizing its historical origins. We have settled the question of when the shofar is blown and we turn now to the question of what sounds are made. The Mishnah says cryptically, Seder Tzkiot, Shalosh, Shel Shalosh, Shalosh. The arrangement of the sounds is three of three, three. What that means is that there are three sets of sounds, and each set has three sounds. So the Shalosh, Shalosh, three, three, at the end of this statement in the Mishnah means three of each. The three sets are the ones at the end of the Malchuyot verses, at the end of the Zichronot verses, and at the end of the Shofarot verses. What are the three sounds at the end of each set of verses? They are Tekiah, Truah, Tekiah. The essential sound is the Truah, not surprising since the day is Yom Truah. The initial Tekiah is like an attention-getter. Listen up, here comes the Truah. And the final Tekiah is like an all-clear signal. It is understandable that the attention-getter and the all-clear signals should be loud, sustained blasts. But what should the truah sound like? The Talmud records a debate in which one view is that a truah should sound like a person sighing. Oi, oi, oi. What we now call shavarim, which literally means broken notes. A second view is that the truah sound, the truah should sound like women ululating. Oi, 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 what we now call truah. And a third is that it should be both, sighing, followed by ululating, what we now call shvarim truah. It is very interesting that they didn't know which of these three sounds was the correct one. You would think that this most important ceremony, the blowing of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, would be remembered by everyone. Not so. Since they could not determine which tradition was the authentic one, Rabbi Abahu of Kisaria decided that we should cover all bases, that is, do all three. And that is our current practice. We blow a shvarim truah, surrounded by, loud, by long blasts, then a shvarim, sounded by lo- surrounded by long blasts, and then a truah, surrounded by long blasts. 
And that we do three times. First after the Malchiyot verses, second after the Zichronot verses, and third after the Shofarot verses. That doesn't count the Shofar sounds that are made in the Shofar service prior to the Amidah. There we do exactly the same thing, except that we do it three times. After the Bracha, we blow three Shvarim Truaz, each surrounded by long blasts, then three Shvarims, each surrounded by long blasts, and then three Truaz, each surrounded by long blasts. You might ask, what's all this talk about sighing and ululating? Isn't Rosh Hashanah supposed to be a Yom Tov, a festival? Shouldn't our shouts be shouts of joy? Shouldn't the blasts of the shofar be celebratory? When Ezra read the entire Torah on the first day of the seventh month, the people began to weep, presumably because they realized that they had not been following the word of God for generations. Ezra said to them, This day is holy unto Adonai your God. Therefore do not mourn, do not cry, go home, eat a festive meal, drink wine, share your food with others. Don't be depressed, for your strength comes from your joy in Adonai. Somewhere along the way, the tradition of joyful sounds on Rosh Hashanah had evidently disappeared, and our chauffeur sounds had become sounds of moaning and weeping. That's something to contemplate between this session and the next one. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.